in life, we're often just one decision away from a completely different journey. But just because you started on one path does not mean you have to stay there in order to see where it ends. I'm Callie Youngstrom, and this is Keep Yourself Well. We all know that sport teaches us so much more than the basic skills of how to dribble a basketball or stop a puck. It teaches us dedication and focus and discipline. In the case of CJ Hollett, it's Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That's the passion, but it wasn't always this way. And now CJ is making the best of his experience as a coach in Calgary and a gym owner to help prevent other young people from starting off on the same path he did by sharing his passion and expertise. Hi, CJ. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, friend. <laughs> thanks so, for having me. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, so before we get into it, I just always start with asking, how do you keep yourself well? Share with the people. How does CJ keep himself well? Uh, too much time in the gym. Is there such thing? Uh, <laughs> depends. Depends what you want in your life, I guess jiu-jitsu and like traditional gym because you do some lifting as well yeah we have both in our facility so yeah it doesn't give it gives me a reason to stay there no reason to leave so physically and mentally gym is like your go-to in terms of wellness absolutely okay, when well, they locked down for covid i was definitely struggling but so was a lot of people yeah, well, that must be hard both personally and also, I mean, obviously as a business owner, but as a coach too, knowing that your students, I'm sure, were struggling as well. Oh, yeah. We got, I got it from all angles, like my own my own mental, my own physical, and then everybody else's, plus my business. So, yeah. So how did you manage your mental and physical wellness when you had didn't have that? I guess you could probably still access your own space for your movement, but... I have a key. <laughs> that's a huge that's a huge challenge it was and, and losing your community kind of in that sense as well a little bit yeah well actually it's funny because I I would go in and work out and it'd just be me in the whole place and I would post a video and I would have my friends get mad at me like, <laughs> actually saying I'm rubbing in their face because while they're struggling oh, no. I never even thought of that yeah that's a good fair point I never even thought of it I mean, you've got to do what you've got to do. Do like if I think anybody who had access, I'm sure, would be taking advantage of it. And, and eventually, I started sneaking them in. There, under, underground jujitsu. Yeah, they probably just had FOMO. I'm sure. Um, yeah. Well, I'm excited to talk about it because I know, like, just even in my experience, the community and that structure of jujitsu is so important. But I think to get started, we have to go back to seventeen yes. year seventeen year old CJ who ended up in jail. Oh. Uh, you want to jump in yeah we start well I think it's important I don't want to dwell on it you know but I don't want to gloss over the fact that someone lost a life and obviously that's very serious um just out of respect for everyone involved but I think what I love about your story and is so beneficial about your story is kind of the before and after so what led you to that place so that we can help other people learn to avoid that and how you've gotten to the place where you are now helping so many people and you know setting an example in a positive light so um unfortunately someone lost their life and you ended up in jail at a very young age so tell me about young cj growing up what do you feel like led you to that 
place. Give us a little bit of your background. Um, I grew up in Halifax, actually. And I would say people have this idea that you grow up knowing right from wrong. If, if you're never taught stealing is wrong, you might end up stealing. Um, my parents didn't have a great marriage. And they were virtually never home. So we raised ourselves and we were in a poor neighborhood. So there was crime and other bad people. So if you grew up around that and that's all you know, that's what you do. And it wasn't until... It wasn't until they divorced that things got better because then they were more present, but by then it was too late and we were all in trouble. I just, I was the best at getting in trouble. Um, so yeah, it was just a uh, bad, uh, bad upbringing with no guidance and uh, having the wrong friends, taking, down, taking you down the wrong paths and just being young and not knowing better. So yeah. at what age then you ended up you were in jail at 17? Oh, the first time was like 14. Oh, so what were you, what, what was 14? All, all violence, all, all drug dealing, all violence. Um, yeah, just everything. Well, my dad was a fighter. So everything, the only thing I really knew was fighting. And every, every problem, the answer was a fist fight. Like, there was no communication. Like, if, if we had a problem, we were fighting. Okay. So you saw violence from a really young age. Absolutely. Oh yeah, my whole life. Even I remember. I remember we had this uh, creep sneaking around our property, and my dad got his hands on him, and he's okay. violence to solve it, right? Um, but yeah, it was it was super young that we started fighting. Everything yeah. was a fight. But I mean, if you didn't like the people we were hanging out with, if you didn't fight, then you were, then you were a pussy. And, and then you would you would always be picked on. You always be harassed. So that's uh, you either fight or you either fight once or you fight all the time. Yeah. Well, and not having role models or examples of like how to de-escalate in anything, right? Like I'm sure. So from there, everything just kind of continued escalating for you, like into this point of eventually being convicted of second degree murder as a result of violence. Um, so what was that experience like being so young and, you know, having that experience and you being well, in jail? Outside of the, the, the big offense, uh, all the violence seemed normal. It was just like what I was around, even if I wasn't in violence, the people around me were. And it was almost like it was the neighborhood because I remember walking to school and walking by people I don't know and they're fighting. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen a lot for, for being that young, like nothing, nothing surprised me. So when that, when I finally got locked up, actually I started, I started rethinking my life. It's, it's weird when you know there's a problem and there's nothing you can do about it and you don't know how to do anything about it. Cause I remember I actually got beat up by the cops like really, really bad when I was 16, like handcuffed, like the worst shit you could think of. And I remember I was, I was, I was sore and could barely move for two weeks. And I, I remember thinking, I, think, I feel like I'm doing something wrong, <laughs> but I didn't know what to do about it, especially being 16. I was like, I don't know, I just, something's not right. And, and then uh, shit got worse. And then once I was forced to, to, well, once I was in a cell and the door was locked and that, you know, you have no friends, you have no TV, you have no family, just you and your thoughts. That's when I started, uh, 
picking it apart and figuring I have to change. Yeah, it was it was eye opening, and I actually recommend a long time for everybody because uh, it was the worst and best thing that ever happened. Because yeah. that first six months in prison was in a cell by myself, like no out, no communication with anybody. Wow. And I went a little crazy. I'm not gonna lie. It's hard in the head. Yeah. But that removal of the outside influences was necessary for you. So you have siblings as well? Two ugly fat siblings, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not true. I've seen your sister. I saw your brother too. They're both in great shape, but you know, so the whole family, you know, being yeah, subjected to not having that guidance, I'm sure is really challenging. So what was that like being removed from even communication with your family at such a young age? Do you think that was an important part of this journey or did that make things more challenging for you being so young? It was challenging, but necessary. Yeah. If you don't have anybody to lean on and I've experienced I've experienced this well ever since I've been released. If if having nobody to lean on, you tend to rise to the occasion. Like if it's like helicopter parents, their kids tend to grow up weak because they do everything for them and they end up confused. I had a kid in my in my gym, not a kid, well kind of a kid, he's 21. He couldn't he couldn't like, you know, traditionally the students come in, they they don't let me mop. They they mop for me. I don't want them to, but they just do it. And sometimes I watch these guys mop and they've never touched a mop in their life. They don't know how to put their clothes on. It's, it's, it's incredible how helicopter parenting or when you have someone to lean on, how it can cripple you. Right. And so it kind of, again, it forced me to self-assess and not have anybody else fix my problems for me. And it, my problems couldn't be fixed for me. I had to fix them. So it was, it was hard to be removed from everybody, but also... I wouldn't change it. Yeah. Your, your path would have been very different. Very different. Yeah. So do you like anger was an issue for you at that time? Do you feel like anger was an issue or it was just you were, that was how you were taught to deal with things? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I had a temper, but it wasn't often, a lot of my charges weren't like through temper. They weren't, they're more instrumental violence. Like, I remember a, a kid showed up in my school, a dude, to like hurt my sister. And I was like, absolutely not. Get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. And I got an assault charge. Um, I feel like most people would do that today. It was things like that, or somebody owed me money and mm-hmm. I'd go get it. Sometimes uh, I'd never been charged for like a temper tantrum, but I do remember having a temper. It was mostly like antisocial friends so and then so you're in jail for until 2006 and you get out of jail on parole is that right ish yeah five so what was the first thing you did like what do you do when you get out of jail well it's a process um first first thing i did is went to the gym (laughs) um it's a process they slowly let you out right so that's why i was like ish because uh 2004 and three, I was actually working in the community. And all you did is go back to the prison to sleep at night. Wow. So what were you doing in the community? I worked at this, uh, it was a furniture place. We just built furniture. Wow. They drive a handful of guys into the city and 
picked them up at the end of the day. And I, like, by the end of it, I was just going to sleep. So just introducing you slowly back into yeah. normal life. Yeah. It's also like a trust test. I mean, I could, I could have like fucked off and not come back, but yeah. then you never get another chance, right? That's so interesting to me because I mean, my personal knowledge is very small, but if you think about what you see on TV and movies, I feel like that's not, you just see people like walk out the door when their time is done. And now it's like, well, that's, true. that's true. There's levels. There's like minimum security, uh, medium and maximum and the maximum, well, the medium too, but the maximum was horrific. I just because I, when I got there uh, at 16 years old, I got there in the middle of a riot. And so it was, it, it's funny how when I got to prison, I thought I had it bad. And then I got to the max and I was like, holy fuck, uh, it can get worse. It can get worse from there too. It was, that was one of the times where I was telling you, I thought I was going to die because they put me in a building that was on fire. Like the riot, in the middle of a riot, when I get there, there's smoke in a building. And they started walking me to this building. I was like, where are we going? I was like, well, to your cell. And I was like, in the building that's on fire? And they was like, yeah. I was like, this feels like a bad idea. Like, like there's other buildings. I thought you met a metaphorical fire, but there was a legitimate. No, it was fucking on fire. Smoke was everywhere. To the point where like, he said, trust me, it's under control. We're dealing with it right now. You'd be fine. If, if, if it gets out of hand, we'll, take, we'll come take everybody out. And I was like, he works for the government. I trust him. Yeah. Okay. Wow. <laughs> And so, yeah, and what happened? The reason I said I almost died is because it got worse, and they didn't come get us. And the the smoke was so bad, I had to soak my shirt in the sink and lay under my bed and hope that the smoke went away because it was it couldn't breathe at all. At sixteen years old. Yeah, it was five nights in a row of that, and it stopped when they ran out of things to burn. Holy, and that wasn't enough to scare you straight. I was I was already wanting to change. It's just a matter of like, made, yeah, I made my bed, now, it's, now I have to lay in it. I have to do my time and then I can go forward. Right. Well, and what, yeah, what resources to change? Like what does a 16 year old? Well, at what? first you have to do time because it's not like uh, you can go take an anger management course and they're gonna let you back out. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have to sit, sit in your bullshit and dissect it when you get opportunity to. But in, in the maximum security, you're not doing anything except sur- surviving. And, and uh, again, I was in that cell. I was in that cell for six months by myself as well. So once, once they s- sent me back to a medium, then I had more access to things. Like, well, they make you do counseling and they make you do their courses. And right. Like actually I, support rehabilitation. Well, I mean, some of them are, I mean, not the shit out of them because I do appreciate that they do that but some of them are so stupid it's like don't do this it's bad i know but why am i doing this it just just a lot a lot some of the courses felt like they were just there for optics he did this course he's good to go and it was just a bullshit course um the best course i did was actually in saskatchewan at the uh, near riverbend what was it called regional psych center and that, that prison was run by nurses and they genuinely gave a shit about everybody. Not just virtue signaling change, like yeah. interesting. Get in your cell, do your time, shut the fuck up. They actually would come talk to you, get hands on, you know, and ask you real questions. Like, 
So those courses were a big benefit to you. What else in terms of activities or programs or just things that you were doing on your own in that time? Like, how did you get into, were you working out? Were you reading, meditating? Like, how do you manage that growth on your own when you're closed off? Um, I wasn't really closed off. Some of the counselors I saw, like, so as a 16, 17, 18 year old kid, I would, they put me in a room with a counselor and they would say, why, why are you hitting people? Like, why do you choose violence? And I'm like, I don't know. Like I'm a child, like ask me better questions. Having the, having, having the foresight now, or sorry, hindsight, um, it's crazy to think back how how shitty some of these counselors were. Like it's their job to ask questions and find the right question that gets the right answer. But there was two or three in a row that were like, "Well, why are you choosing violence?" And I was like, "I don't know. Like, it just it's, it just feels like the right thing to do." Instead of like, "Well, did you see violence before? Like, how come you don't give yourself options and shit like that?" And that's what I got in. Uh, in uh, Riverbend uh, was better questions and better, like I said, people that care and like, well, that's not the answer I wanted. So I'm going to ask a different question. The, the shitty counselors will, would write reports on me saying he's resistant to therapy. Like, I'm not resistant. It's like, I don't know the answers. How is that resistant? Right. Like, well, it almost sounds like potentially they had a preconceived notion going in to talking to you assuming it was resisted so getting out of that and first thing being like going to the gym how did martial arts come into your life and at one point did that happen once you'd been released well we grew up in the gym uh uh my dad was a boxer and so we were always in the gym so i always liked it i liked boxing uh and when i was in when i was in jail there was a heavy bag and i would hit the heavy bag eventually my father and my brother got into jiu-jitsu and in the medium security prison if you behave well you can get family visits where they have these three houses on the property and you and your like i would go in there with my brother and my father and we would do jiu-jitsu in the house wow yeah we would do that for two two or three days and then i had a couple of buddies that were also into martial arts so I'd, then i go back to the prison and practice with them and we'd get in trouble every time. I was going to say, yeah, what is the, <laughs> what are the rules about doing jujitsu in jail? Well, that you're not allowed to horseplay because horseplay means someone might get stabbed, oh. which was fairly regular enough. Wow. So you started there. And so when you got released, did you seek out a jujitsu gym right away? Well, when I got out, my brother was doing MMA. So I just jumped into his gym and they were, he was at a Henzo Gracie gym and I just started training right away. Wow. Like immediately. And so when did you transition more into specializing in jujitsu? Because for, well, so for those of you who don't know, you're a four degree black belt. Three. Three. So that means you've been a black belt for how many years? Nine. And so how long have you been doing jujitsu since you had your white belt? Well, if you, if you don't count the prison time, <laughs> Don't count that. Don't count that. I feel but, like I count spent a lot of time on the mat there. Uh, <laughs> since 2005-2006. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, tell just tell me about your jiu-jitsu journey. How did you transition from doing like more MMA style to more specialized Brazilian jiu-jitsu? I actually loved uh, MMA and kickboxing. The better I got at jiu-jitsu, the less I did 
all the stand-up stuff. And when I got my blue belt, I started switching pretty drastically. I was like, I started doing jujitsu because I would show up to uh, MMA and we would do that class and Roger would stay and do jujitsu. And I'd, I'd be, he'd be my drive. So I'd be forced to stay and do jujitsu, whatever, I'll do it. And then it switched when I got my blue belt. I was like, I'm going for jujitsu and skipping MMA. Just, I don't know, the better I got at it, the, the more I liked it. I like, I like the, um, I like the dynamic. Like if you, if you grab here, it changes everything. If you grab here, it changes everything. Like it's, it's crazy how the a couple inches can like change everything. Right. And so chess. it's physical chess and you can't brute strength your way out of, I mean, maybe if I'm dramatically bigger, like if you and I fought, maybe oh, yeah. I could. It's only size. That would be the reason I lost that fight. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? If you fight someone your size, you can't brute strength your way out of things. Totally. You have intelligence. So I like that when you're tied up, mm-hmm. there's a, there's an intelligent way out. And that's kind of how I, I found myself dealing with my personal life. I don't have to fight people. There's an intelligent way to deal with this. And the better I got at jujitsu, the more it trickled into my personal life. And I was making better decisions. Like it's always for me, when I do jujitsu in my brain, it's always what's the path of least resistance. Yes. Yeah, so maybe I can pressure pass through, or maybe I can back off and turn a corner. Like there's what's the path of least resistance. And I always apply that to my real life. Now. Okay. So do you feel like when you were doing more like MMA and, and kickboxing, because I think th- there's probably a lot of kind of common misconceptions about those sports in terms of, yes, they're, they're violent in terms of there's, you know, physical passes happening, but they are controlled in a gym setting like that. Do you feel like that helped you to manage any anger or violence? Like, what was that experience like? I do. So looking back again, when I was a teenager, I didn't, I mean, I had some boxing experiences as a teenager, but I never had the confidence of being a good fighter. And I remember always feeling like I had something to prove. Um, and I, I, when I was released, I, I argued with my, with my parole officer back then all the time about this, because she would say it's legalized violence. And I was like, but it teaches discipline. Like I'm not out there. If a team of friends training together, yes, we hit each other, but it's like a form of play. But you know what I mean? There's this agreement that we're going to go do this. We're going to get good at this. And it's not, it's not malice. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. And I don't, I never viewed it as legalized violence. I always viewed it as like bettering myself. And a good example of that is like, um, what do they say? Well, Jordan Peterson says it like a harmless man is not a good man. A good man is a very dangerous man mm. who has it under control. That's what we do with our military guys. Like they go off and they defend our country with violence and they're heroes. Right. Um, that, that, that's how I feel. That's what I feel martial arts does for people. Like I've been in, like I told you, I did security. Like I've been in a situation where people try to fight me. I'm like, no, get out. I've already worked out today. I'm not doing this. And whereas teenager CJ would be like, fuck yeah, let's go. Yeah, I'll give a fuck. A lot of ego too, I'm sure, at that age. Yeah. And now I don't care. Like, like, yeah, you're tougher than me. Can you please leave? <laughs> I don't care. Do you find, well, I'm sure 
now at 40, this is not happening. But when you were younger and people knew that you did MMA and kickboxing and jujitsu, that they would try to escalate things with you to prove a point, like challenge you. Yes. And so I'm, and you were able to walk away at that point because this is part of your parole agreement, obviously, is not fighting. I haven't, I haven't been in a physical altercation since. I have no desires to, to street fight. It hurts. It's stupid. Well, and you've learned other ways, other ways of life and management. Yeah. Now, now, like, you know, like you said, I'm a nine-year black belt. I've got a ton of other martial arts experience. How awesome would it feel for me to beat up a drunk guy? Just fuck, I'm a hero. (laughs) So once you got your blue belt, were you training like every day? Do you feel like that was a main outlet for you? I feel uh, not every day. Once I got my purple, it was every day. So what were you doing in that period for like work-wise once you were training? Personal, personal trainer. Really? Yeah. Wow. 10 years. Personal trainer. So fitness really was the go-to right away. That was the goal, but I was, I was side. I mean, when I was, that was the goal, but I got sidetracked a lot. Um, because well, when I was in Halifax, everybody knew who I was, especially because of my father being famous. He was the Canadian boxing champ and my brother doing MMA. He was all over the TVs. Um, so I'd go get a job and I'd be fired two weeks later because they're like, hey, I know who you are. Oh, wow. And this has happened to me. This has happened to me every, almost every single job I've had since then. Yeah. Even my last job, personal training, then this is like, I worked for them for five years. And they had just given me like a five-year excellency award. And they fired me a week later because they, they found out about my criminal record from 1998. They like didn't Google you beforehand or what? Oh. Wow. So that really, I mean, that's the thing. And I guess one of the reasons that I think your story is so interesting and it's, um, you're so open about your story. Um, mm-hmm. But because at what point do we allow someone to have a second chance and rehabilitate and now give back to the community. So what has jujitsu taught you? Because I know for me, uh, you know, obviously in a different way, but that community has been so amazing. So we got to travel down and compete as a team, for example, this weekend and your gym hosted and like just even having that experience, you know, traveling and training with the girls is such a unique part of jujitsu that I think a lot of people don't experience in terms of you know, when you're personal training and it's just you and the trainer, or like, you're just going into traditional gym. Um, and like you said, kind of the mutual agreement and respect that you're trying to strangle each other, mm-hmm. but it's in a controlled environment and you've got that understanding and then you're best friends at the end. Right. Let me ask you, how was it? <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you, how was it seeing me? Yeah. I, I liked it. I told you, you got some fight in you, but how was it for yeah. you on your? Uh, it was good. I, it was me facing a lot of competition, fear, and anxiety. I mean, you saw me almost crying, just trying to talk about a match. So you yeah, it was fully good. cried. What's that? You fully cried. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't have a total breakdown with you. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it was putting a lot of ego aside um, and kind of rewriting what competition can do for me and why I'm competing, um, you know, as a personal journey versus like purely for accolades, because I'm not expecting to walk in and, you know, beat someone who's been doing jujitsu for 
a decade. So it was a good experience, although I did injure myself and now I can't brush my teeth, but it's fine. I mean, I am just with the wrong hand. <laughs> That's fine. But so, okay, because you are not allowed to compete, is that accurate? Or can you? Uh, the, the, any, the rule is where the, anything where the primary objective is to punch or kick another person. Okay, so you can compete in jiu-jitsu. Technically, yeah, but they don't like the idea. Oh, so you don't compete at all? I was supposed to a few times, and then I've, I've ripped my pack apart. Oh, no. I got a big hole in my pack here. Um, I tore my bicep off once. Um, From lifting or doing jujitsu? Jujitsu. Shoot. Actually, sorry, the bicep was from kickboxing. The pack was from jujitsu. Oh, okay. So you have, so have you competed at all? No. I think that's really cool though, because a lot of people do jujitsu and have no desire to compete. And I really didn't know if I wanted to compete. So this was a like, let me just dip my toes in the water. And just because I do it once doesn't mean it's something I have to continue doing. No, you have to. <laughs> <laughs> Don't support that. That's my mentality. No, you have to. You had too much fun. Well. Look at all the friends you made. Yeah, I did, Nate. Do you know what? Like two of the girls that I competed against were like instant friends, which again, that's such a, people who don't do martial arts can't possibly understand that like this girl, there's a photo of me, I should send it to you in a full arm bar. Like no wonder my arms messed up. You can see the exact moment that this happened. And then we were like hugging each other and chatting at the end. And yeah. you know, it is, you develop, I think a certain bond when you trained with, when you train like that. So when you, yeah, started training like as a blue belt and a purple belt, did you have a specific coach who was really influential? In your life, were you floating around to different gyms? No, I had a specific, I had a couple coaches, three. Um, <clears throat> I didn't realize the value until I left. Like that was in Nova Scotia, meaning they were such good guys. I just thought, I mean, this is martial arts. I feel like everybody in martial arts is a good guy. And then I came out here and I had some bad experience with, coach, with coaches and them not giving a shit and just bad leaders. Um, I've lived in Vancouver. Um, I had mixed, mixed experiences, um, but I have met some amazing coaches here and Vancouver. But the ones that that kind of shaped my view on how to coach were the guys from Halifax at, at Henzo Gracie's. Wow. So showed you the type of like leader that you want to be as well within your own gym. Yeah, just the way they did things. They they weren't super organized, but they were, they cared, man. Like if I couldn't get to the gym, they would call me and be like, where are you at? I'll come get you. And yeah. they just, they just cared. They wanted you in the gym. They wanted you to, to be around them. They were just awesome people. And then you, I remember, I remember hearing a coach out here say, I like it when they don't come. It's free money. You suck, bro. You suck. In it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And so through my good and bad experiences, when I opened the gym, I was like, I know exactly what I want to do. Yeah. When did you start coaching? When I got fired from that last job after my excellency award. So what belt level were you? I was black belt. When you started coaching. So when... Oh, well, sorry. Uh, I started opening the gym then, but I've, I've been coaching for a long time. Yeah. So what, like, when did you start coaching? What belt level were you coaching at other gyms? Purple belt. I think a lot of people hold themselves back from taking the step into coaching various things 
because they really believe they have to be at a certain level. Mm -hmm. I think that there's, you know, a merit to that of respectability and you want to be great, but you don't have to be necessarily a black belt to, to have mm -hmm. a great influence. Well, it makes you better too. And that's kind of my, my, the reason I encourage people to teach is because just verbalizing the details makes you realize either you're cheating the details or just makes you better at rep, rep, repeating it real time. And <clears throat> I never wanted to teach. I hate public speaking. I don't, I, I don't think I'm the leader guy. Like, hey, follow me guys. Look how good I did with my life. No, <laughs> I don't think I'm the leader. It just kind of fell on my lap because um, uh, one of my instructors never showed up. And so I just started teaching. And then uh, I got okay at it. And then when I went to work, I worked in oil for a few years. When I was out in the woods, there was a, a jujitsu gym out there and I was a brown belt and they were like, please teach us something. So I was like, I can, I can still work out. Sure. And so it just kind of, it always just fell on my lap, the teaching thing. And I'd never, ever wanted it. And now here I am. You're natural. Also here you are recording a podcast, even though you don't like public speaking, which I, I, really, appreciate. I remember I can, I can remember the horrors of my first couple of times teaching. And I used to, I used to like go talk to like troubled youth. And even that was hard. Like I just hated public speaking just i don't care i just like if you don't like me fuck off i don't care i, I totally feel that way well, and, and I that's you get used to it out that honestly takes a lot of pressure off of me when i think like that because all the experiences of getting fired from these jobs everybody smiles in my face and then they like me they give me awards tell me how good i'm doing then they find out i have this past and they're like no you're fired mm. so now i'm like you don't like me fuck off and it serves me very well because it's a really good filter for good people. Like some people aren't comfortable, fine. But some people are like, that's amazing. Tell me more. Or I want to work with you because you've seen all the bad things. Um, I have cops in my gym. I have cops in my gym that work with me. I love them. Correctional officers in my gym. And I've got firefighters and I have some shady people too. Not shady anymore, but they're trying to find their way, right? Yeah. Well, and so, having a, yeah, having a leader who can help with that. Yeah. Anyway, so all, all that, uh, that mentality has served me well for teaching and uh, kind of trying to own the, the leadership app that I still don't really like. When did you decide, did you feel like you opened the gym because it was like a necessary means to a career for you at this point because these jobs were ending? There was a few things that happened. And I'm not a, not that I want to talk religion, but I'm not very religious just because of the bad things I've seen. Um, but there was a moment when I got fired that I was living in Vancouver. My condo was not for sale. I got an offer well over asking price. I got an offer to teach jujitsu here in Calgary, another gym. And uh, a guy wanted to give me a part-time job here in Calgary. So I was like, if the universe was ever going to talk to me, this would be it. So I was like, let me try. I mean, I've got nothing to lose and a lot of money to gain. So sold the condo, drove back here to Calgary and jumped in with two feet. And then when did you open your, because you were coaching at a different gym? Yeah, of course. Um, my bad luck prevailed and that gym got evicted from the location. 
And so I made the big move and jumped in with two feet. And then we got kicked the fuck out of that location. And boy, was I angry for trusting the universe. But turned out it was for the better because in that scenario, I was working underneath of somebody. And I never liked that, especially given my experience working with people was I get booted. So I took the people I had on the team and I just went and found a location from a friend of mine who, who happened to own that bay that you were in. Oh, wow. That friend of mine owns that. And so I just pay him rent, plot my business in there. And she grew. Good for you. So how many years has 101 been open? Six and a half. And what's your experience been like being a business owner? horrible <laughs> well because two years of that full pandemic like that is a solid chunk of time oh it's the roller coaster like i would almost say jail was easier because you know every day is going to suck uh when it first opened you show up to teach and nobody's there and then one person's there and then two and then nobody and so it was this brutal assault on my on my confidence on my trust them i'm like do i really want to do this shit and then i think one year in we were barely breaking even and we had a little crew fatima was part of that um and then on that second year i went broke like i lost all the money i saved the money i made in the condo i was virtually flat broke and i told the landlord i virtually have no money left exhaust the credit cards, line of credit. And that was December. January, we got the enormous uh, New Year's resolutioners influx and we like almost tripled our membership. Wow. How many of those stick around? Like three. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, I think probably 10 of them ish. Wow. Like we, we took on, I can't even remember how many, but I know we more than doubled our memberships. That's amazing. And you have a kids program too, which I feel like oftentimes the kids programs do really well. How's your kids program? They do. And I do love the kids. I, 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 I want to teach jujitsu. I don't want to babysit. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's this love hate thing where I want to want to be involved and I want to help. And I want to coach kids, but I also want to make sure the adults are getting my attention. I love like the youth, like the teenagers. Because they, with the young ones, like, again, I love them. But you tell them, okay, do A, B, and C. And then you walk away and turn around. And they're, they're wrestling or they're doing something weird. So it becomes babysitting. So I love, like, I would say, like, eight and up is my favorite. Do you feel like you feel like it's an opportunity to atone or create a new legacy working with kids and working with youth and because you said you did some speaking to youth and I know you mentioned to me that you were involved in like the big brother big sister program too is that something that's important to you at this point in your journey yeah I mean COVID has complicated that and as soon as COVID happened that that terminated because of their well they'll follow all the government rules and whatever which is fine but um Jiu-Jitsu is a contact sport. And if people aren't comfortable, there's nothing I can do about that. I do hope to revisit that in the future. But again, given my situation, I let people come to me because that means they're comfortable. I don't go seeking people out anymore. I'm open to anything. 
if it helps. I just want I just want to I want to help. I want to give back. I know what it done what jujitsu done for me, so I do enjoy pushing or or trying to provide that for other people, especially when I see people suffer. Yeah, like if they're willing to be open to the opportunity. So when you say, because for those like people who have no experience with jujitsu, if you were going to summarize what jujitsu has done for you, what would you say? Clarity. There's like, uh, I can't remember who, who's quoted it. It's like, if you have the ability to fight under the stressful circumstances, if you have the ability to think under the stressful circumstances of a fight, you can think clear under any circumstances. Um, and that's, I think that's the superpower it gives us with like when, when you just competed with a certain amount of intensity. And then when you have a body on top of you, smothering you, trying to choke you, and you have to think that, I think that's a superpower. Like you've seen some of the huge guys in my gym, when they're on top of me, I have to think clearly. Our biggest guy is 370 pounds, six, eight. So put him on top of you. And if you can think clearly under that, I think life should be quite easy. Yeah. One, I mean, I started wrestling when I was 10 and I've talked about it many times on the podcast. And it's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about martial arts, because I really do think when you're faced with that type of intensity and adversity from a young age, I really do think it makes life easier and it helps you to handle conflict. Do you feel like, I mean, I, I don't think that you regret, like you've mentioned to me before, you don't necessarily regret your path because it was important to lead you here. But do you feel like your life would have been so different if you knew martial arts and learned jujitsu at a young age and had what your young students have now at your academy? Yeah, that's a tough one. I do. Absolutely. I have regrets. Don't get me. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely regret a lot of that because, I mean, I'm hurting people. Right. It's, you know, those aren't gold stars. Um, what I what I do appreciate is the time alone. and the hardships of sitting in a cell by myself and seeing the riots and the, the gang violence and you can't go hide. You have to sit there and like pretend you don't see it. Um, the, the struggle of being kind of the worst situation possible and coming out with clarity, that's, that's what I appreciate. So I do have regrets. I just wanted to clarify. Absolutely. Yeah. Just, just, <laughs> I wish everybody had a little bit of struggle. That's what I was kind of getting at with the helicopter parents. I was like, let go fail like you did, right? Everybody in that tournament had some failures. Like I had, I had a, a guy who <laughs> he got, he did a tournament to before COVID he subbed everybody, but he was mad because he did a couple of things wrong. I don't understand that. But, um, but just the courage to go, the courage to, uh, again, put your body in someone else's hands and potentially fail in front of everybody. That's so good for you. We, yeah, that comfortability with, I mean, failure, embarrassment, like, you know, I, I talked about it on the post that I made where it's, you know, I, I lost and I learned like, you know, it's not win or learn. Like to me, I'm like, no, it's okay. Like, it's okay to lose. There's nothing wrong with that as long as you learn. And I learned a lot. Uh, and I think that, like kids learning, especially now when we do the participation medals, you know, like, I think, I think it really is important for kids to learn that how to lose and it's okay. And I think participation medals can be detrimental because it teaches kids that it's not okay to lose, you know, like you have to, 
get a reward for showing up, which the reward for showing up is everything you get out of martial arts every day or whatever sport. My favorite question I get from not from some of the parents, very few, but some like, do you promote on attendance or, or um, if you promote one kid, do you promote them all? And I was like, why would I do that? Like, well, because then my kid has to come out more upset because he didn't get promoted. Maybe a kid should fucking work harder. Like, yeah. Well, and encourage. Will it do? Sorry. Like, just encourage, be encouraged and challenged because they want to excel as well. Yeah, exactly. So if Timmy's working hard and Timmy gets promoted, why don't you point that out instead of saying, well, just give my kid one? Yeah. So do you feel, do you feel like the parents are open to your history and being able to now be a good role model based on where your life has taken you? Well, they have to be. It's on, it's on my website and I, I mean, I encourage them to same same thing I did with you. Don't make this promise. Go do your homework first. That's what I do to everybody. Yeah. Because I don't want to sit here and then you're like, oh God, that happened. It's going to be awkward for you, not me. Yeah. I've well, dealt with it too much. I mean, and of course it's a it's a really sensitive topic. And I'm glad, I mean, as you like corrected and said, of course there's regrets, you know, like serious things have happened. But I think that it is really important to show examples of people who have completely changed their life and not only changed their own lives, but you change the lives of others. And, you know, being at your academy, especially on Saturday, you know, seeing the, the tournament was amazing, but seeing a little bit, you know, a, a more of an insight to what the normal culture of your gym is and the dynamic on a Sunday with open mat and just seeing so many amazing athletes and such a huge turnout. I mean, I know how much I feel like jujitsu has done for myself as one person to see, to see 30 or 40 people on the mat and know how much jujitsu has done for those people, not even knowing their personal stories, because I can guarantee there's people who I'm sure have, you know, varied stories and, you know, his histories of violence or, you know, growing up with challenges, like it's astronomical, what it has the potential to do. Yeah. And it's all love, right? When you, when you're in my gym, the dudes are hugging. Like it's, it's not this meathead environment. It's a family environment. And to your question, like the parents, they see that. And if I, I, I have only recently read our Google reviews and they're really nice, wow. really nice. And it's all the same thing, family environment. And, and the parents always slide into my DMs in a good way. Uh, uh, telling about, me how about to be clear, in a good way to be clear in a good way uh telling me how how nice and welcoming the gym is and how friendly it is and they 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 all know about my past and if they're not comfortable i'm happy to like i always say as i don't judge anybody whatever you're comfortable with i say if you're not comfortable here i can help you find a gym you're more comfortable with because it's not going to be fuck you if you don't like my gym yeah not every i don't i don't appeal to everybody no one does I mean, I don't know. I barely appeal to anybody. I understand when, when people don't come to my gym and I'm okay with it. Cause again, I like that my situation acts as a really good filter. The people I have, I mean it when I say I love them. Well, and it's the sign of a good leader. I think you really do want the um, best for athletes, whether you identify as the leader or not, <laughs> you are, <clears throat> you, I mean, a, a, a business owner, a coach, 
you know, you're, you're for sure a leader. And I do think that can be big shoes to fill, but, um, you know, I say it, whether it was because of your history or just your style of jujitsu or style as a coach, like not every gym or every coach is right for every athlete, no matter what, you know, whether it's a part of your history or not. And, um, you know, I really appreciate how open you are with your story and you're not hiding from your past. You really do, you know, acknowledge it. Um, but I can see how in employment positions in the past, people make that decision because it's almost a guilty by association. And, you know, for sure, I respect you so much as a athlete and a coach and a friend and to know your journey and your story and to share it publicly. I want to make sure that we're doing a great job being respectful and highlighting that positive of it is about rehabilitation and second chance and, you know, creating an environment for other people to be better versions of themselves as well. And I think it's important to show those examples of people. And so you get to, you know, be that example for people every day if they're, you know, interested in having that. I think the biggest thing you said there was owning it because I remember hiding from it. Like I had this thing that I didn't want no one to know about. And that's actually the other reason I moved to Calgary from Halifax is because, well, besides getting fired from everywhere, it's like, I'm trying to put this thing behind me and no one will let me. So I moved out here and didn't tell anybody. And actually everybody in Halifax, they call me by my first name, Clinton. Everybody here calls me CJ. I don't know if you heard my brother. My brother was calls me Clint. Oh, I didn't know this. So I came out here and I said, it's CJ from now on, just just in case they hear the name, like, hey, I know the name. But what do you do? What happens when you tell someone your name CJ? What CJ stand for? So I immediately regretted that. But um, it was always this looming, like a knife over my head, just waiting for it to drop. Right. And so the best thing I ever did was own it. And as soon as I got fired from that last job, I made a, a post, put it on, the, put it on uh, my website. I was like, I'll never hide from this and it was the best thing I ever did because walking around didn't realize how heavy it was walking around this this shame right and people can kind of smell shame on you like he's hiding something. and the response I got was polar opposite like it's like what happens when if if I didn't say to you do your homework before you have me on if you go find this out instead of me telling you 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 receive it differently mm-hmm. it's like he's hiding this from me me volunteering it, I almost always get the same response. Good for you for owning it. Almost always. And so the best thing I ever did was just fucking own it and not let it own me and understand I, I've grown. I'm not the same person. I was 16 and 17, 41 now, for Christ's sake. Um, owning it was the, the biggest thing I've ever done. Okay. It's so freeing. Yeah, I mean, I think, and that's a great point. You know, you can regret it and wish things would have happened differently but still own it and work to move forward and you know you know I your your reputation preceded you in a very positive way so I was surprised to find out this information when I did find it out because it didn't come up but I love that it didn't come up until you offered it up to me because all I had heard is about your academy and what a great instructor you are and you know got a chance to go to your seminar and I think that's really amazing because it's it shows what you've, you know, been able to create since that, you know, since that age. And I would just love to know your opinion too on that judgment from employers and everything. I just think that's a kind of tale as old of time as to why a lot of people get sucked back into crime because opportunities and options 
can be taken away? Like what, who, I mean, it sounds like you really had worked on, you know, like rehabilitating yourself in terms of changing your mindset and, and finding other coping mechanisms to deal with things and creating a new environment. But had you not have had jujitsu to coach or have other options when these jobs continue being taken away, I mean, it can create very few options for people who have criminal pasts. Yes. So um, again, back to the prison thing. I would, the, one of the, there's so many reasons I would never undo it. But if I didn't have the gym and all that stuff, I would still, I think I'd still be successful. I had the benefit of when you're in jail, you can virtually see your future. If you're a drug dealer, you can see a drug dealer who's maybe missing an arm because he got shot. Uh, if you're a drug addict, you can see your future over here. And this, you know, there's someone from every criminal walk of life. And I remember sitting there one day and I could see there was a guy just a bit younger than me. There was a guy a bit just older than me. And then there's a guy like 50. And see, I remember there's a 70 year old guy there. 30 years and these guys are getting out and coming back in all the time reoffending. and i'm like holy fuck this is me this could be me you can kind of see your timeline before your eyes and so it just helps solidify like i don't want like how embarrassing is it for that 50 year old guy to keep coming back here and when i was in there that eight years i saw him come and go three or four times and i'm just like dude what, why why and I'm sure there's a, 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 I don't want to say a good reason, but there's a reason, whatever his life has done to him to make him behave this way. It's probably just set in stone by that age. But uh, it was, I, I remember that very clearly thinking, this will never happen to me. Just let me out once. So no matter what, this was my opinion when I'm getting fired. It's like, I will not be that old guy going back. It was just my opinion during COVID. I'm not going to go back to selling drugs. Every bump in my road, I knew I wasn't going to go fuck up. And I've argued with, with uh, parole officers on this all the time. It's like, I could be your poster boy. Get behind me a little bit. Like all these guys that say, oh, I lost my job. I had to go do this. I had to go steal. They didn't. I didn't. Went to the bank and got a loan. I, I, I did A, B, and C. Like couldn't get a loan. I found a way. I tried to get a loan. I didn't actually get a loan. But I didn't go back to doing stupid shit that brought me to prison. I could have very easily. I still know all the same people. I'm a phone call away from going to prison. I don't do it because I don't want to do it. You either want to be successful or you don't. And there's always an option. There's right? always an option. And that was the thing the whole time. Actually, if you rewind to uh, why I was using violence, one of the best questions that, that the, the lady asked me in Riverbend was, why don't you give yourself options? I was like, what? Never thought of that. And I use that all the time. Is this the only option? Right. When you weren't introduced to options at that young age, like you said, if you don't, if you're not taught that stealing is wrong or X, Y, Z is wrong, if you're also right. not taught that you have other options. So the 50 year old guy, if he never was taught that there was other options and didn't have intervention, at whatever critical point, you know, I'm sure there's like that tipping point. Uh, although I think that there's always a chance to, you know, make that change. So what, what advice would you offer to parents who have a CJ at 14, 
six <laughs> you know although you know granted if they're asking for your guidance and advice i think they maybe are one step ahead of some of the support that you were lacking at times but like what advice can you give or what advice would you give to young you i don't know man shit <laughs> this is a <laughs> that's a tough one because again i i i if I had the ability, I wouldn't go back and change much, right? I don't know. Like, let your let your kids fail. I mean, the best thing, like, I can cook, I can clean, and it's all because, I mean, my parents weren't present. Like, I remember, I mean, I wouldn't go this far, but I remember having to break into my house just to eat. They were just not there. And we had to do this repeatedly. So <laughs> I recommend locking your kids out. <laughs> <laughs> no but i mean i would i would say introduce some struggle let them let them fail let them fall like yeah. i remember one time riding a bike and my dad could have caught me and he didn't so how was that now you'll drive with more caution won't you like, yeah but shit dad <laughs> hurts um but i mean letting them go fail i'm not saying like let them go play bumper cars in traffic but yeah there's things you can do to like, like helicopter parenting is I'm so glad my parents weren't there. I mean, there's, there's times I wish they were like, they were for the Christmases were always good. Yeah. That's something, but That's man, the failing and, and building character and because the world, the world is challenging. So you might as well present them some challenges to prepare them for the world. And when you, kids grow up and they don't get that pay raise, they're not going to get a participation medal. So might as well teach them to work hard and get it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, face adversity head on. Yeah, Welcome. Which, and I think that's one of the, it really sums up one of the reasons that organized sport, you know, whether it's jujitsu or something else, but organized sport where kids really have to push and have that challenge, be faced with loss, be faced with the difficulty of progress. You know, I think that's one of the things that I got from jujitsu at such a young age. And it's one of the reasons now that I'm like becoming so passionate about sharing, um, or sorry, wrestling at a young age and why I'm so passionate about sharing jujitsu, because I think it does teach people that. And even adults who haven't faced that head on in, in that way, you know, it's so many people are just, yeah it's life is cushy and so what yeah. happens when it becomes not so cushy we don't know how to deal with it yeah and it's not very cushy right now yeah for a lot of people yeah covid potentially world war three wouldn't you want to be in a position where you're not stressed out right now yeah have that outlet yeah when the, you're used to dealing with adversity yeah the world's ugly you want to be preparing for it don't hide that's my favorite jujitsu quote, the rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war, you know, just yeah. be, be prepared for. And I, I really feel like, again, when, when people don't know about jujitsu, I think a lot of it, they see like the physical combat of it, but it is all, so mental. And like you said, yeah. it, it's not all strength. It's not all size. It's so technical. Uh, and that's something you learn over time as you go. Like that was a big lesson for me too, even this weekend in terms of like okay here's now the chess game and the details and yeah the thinking game all of that i played a lot of, i played a lot of chess in prison and mm -hmm. i love it i just hate how slow it is 
I love jujitsu because it's a hundred miles an hour doing chess. Yes. Physical chess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what's next for you? Do you have any specific goals for your future, for the gym, anything? I mean, this is a huge achievement, keeping a gym running through a pandemic. Have you even been able to think about what's next? Personal life. Um, but even that, I've tried to like, even when I go to Saskatchewan to teach, I get anxiety about leaving the gym. Cause you think it's going to fall apart without you or it's probably going to explode. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. For sure. It'll explode. Uh, yeah. I remember going to Halifax to visit my family and I came back early cause I had anxiety. Um, I've gone, but I mean, that's, that's, that's not self-induced anxiety. Cause if you ask anybody, when I leave, something tends to happen, an injury or one time we flooded when I wasn't there. One time the alarm is going off and we're much bigger now because <laughs> honestly we grew once COVID started to deflate, uh, we took on a shit ton of members. So I had, and I have enough black belts now that can help. Um, so that relieves my stress. Well, I still, it's like anybody I know that owns a business, they say it's like having a kid, no matter what I do, I can't stop thinking if something's going wrong, especially given what I had to do to get it oh, yeah. and the things I had to go through. And so I'm always worried about if I lose this, but yeah. I mean, I can't imagine how that feels having a, a physical location because I feel that way just having a virtual business. Even this weekend, I didn't take my laptop with me mm. and I'm like, oh my God, the sky's going to fall if I don't look at my phone for 12 hours because I'm doing jujitsu. Like, so, yeah, exactly. So anyways, I think short term, I'd like to trust some people and delegate. I, and I do trust them, not to say I don't trust them, just I would like to be able to trust myself or allow myself to trust other people with certain things with the business so that I can like take better care of myself because I run myself into the ground and then I have to force take time off I want to be able to enjoy my time when I'm in Saskatchewan or Vancouver or Halifax um, so short term that I wouldn't mind I've been entertaining a second location but I kind of like what I have right now I don't know yeah personal life, a little more balance in the gym, maybe a second location. Those are great goals. Well, and I think too, like a really, a great reminder for everyone that that balance is important. Like being able to take a holiday and actually be rejuvenated because you can mentally detach and take that break. Yeah. Yeah. And a second location, would you consider like within Calgary or elsewhere? uh could there's could do calgary could i mean technically i have a second location in south korea what yeah what? technically do tell one of my students opened a 101 academy in south korea wow you got a franchise yeah cool so like a, a black belt or yeah Choi. he's a sweetheart of a guy uh, he's actually coming to visit next month. I haven't seen him in a couple of years. That's very Obviously. cool. Uh, I think about this in terms of, like, I just had this conversation with a teacher who I know recently where instructing of any sort, there's just this incredible domino effect that happens where it's, you know, you taught him, he hmm. now has the opportunity to teach, you know, dozens or hundreds of students. One of them will go on to open it. Like, it's just, such a cool wave that happens within the sport it is but how often have you seen it uh frowned upon by the instructor 
Uh, I don't get into the politics. Yeah, it. so it's that simple. It should be that simple. And I teach my guys how to teach. And if I if I'm there and someone else is teaching, I'd be like, yo, I won't say I won't say in front of everybody. I'll pull them aside and say, hey, next time, explain this and that. And uh, I want my guys to teach. And if someone wants to open a location, I support them. Like, I hate instructors that are like, oh, you're, you now you want to be my competition, not to compete with you. You have a, if you have a good business and you have a good following, if you're a good person and people want to be around you, I had my gym right next door to a friend of mine. It was virtually five, like less than five minutes away, and we've got along famously. We still get along famous. They were at the gym when you were there, Kodakan. Uh, oh, I yeah. used to be part of them, and it doesn't matter if you have a good product, people will come. If you have stress about someone leaving you, you're insecure and you're probably providing a shitty product. There's so many instructors out there like that. And I hate it. How will the sport grow if you have that mentality? Mm -hmm. Well, again, being in the sport for the right reason, where it's you're passionate about jujitsu, you know, being a coach who wants to see people excel. And I think that goes for any industry. You have to have an abundance mindset. If you have a lacking mindset and think everyone who's your competition is going to be your demise, you know, like I I have clients who go on after years of working with me to start coaching themselves. And I'm like, you know what? That's the greatest compliment that I'll ever get that I have, you know, encouraged you or had been able to have a small part in your journey where now, you know, not that I take that, you know, massive credit, but like, cool. Yeah. Our goal is all to keep people happy and healthy. And if we're creating more coaches to do that. Why wouldn't I want my students to win? Excellent. Yeah. all over the country to teach yeah and there's yeah. enough to go around you know like there's billions of people so yeah. Yeah, that's a, a great attitude well i'll be excited to follow what happens with the gym and before we wrap up i want to know just a few rapid fire questions that i ask everyone else. uh Shit. who's your biggest role model do you have a, a role model mm, man you know some of my role mo- I, I hesitate choosing celebrities role models because Oftentimes I've met them, not often, a few times I've met them, like I'm some kind of hero or something. I met all these celebrities. A few times I've met them and I've been disappointed. I met GSP, he was great. Um, but it's just not knowing enough about a person. Um, I really look up to Henzo, even though I'm not Henzo Gracie anymore. Um, but people that I actually know and look up to, I'm a bit of an anomaly because my path is, how can I look up to someone who hasn't had the same path? You know what I mean? I mean, I looked up to my dad. He passed away, but like he, he his life wasn't easy either. I don't know. Well, and maybe it gives you the opportunity to kind of be the role model that you didn't have. You know, like you didn't have someone. That's exactly what I want to be. I want to be a role model. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, I think that is part of leadership too. So what's, what do you think the best advice you've ever received is? I mean, it's, it's old. It's old, but it's, it never, never loses its value treat people the way you want to be treated this goes back i want to say this goes back to like the bad instructors of who i've had who expect you to like yes professor yes prof- whatever you say while they treat you like a piece of shit i hate it i hate it right. i hate that um okay what's what's uh, like the best book or resource that you would rec- recommend to people best book i'm i'm, I'm a or- visual learner i hate uh i hate reading <laughs> fall asleep i have to read the same page page six times so do you like YouTube videos? Where do you YouTube. I love listening to like Jordan Peterson. Um, anything where there's like, well, anything relatable to me. Mm-hmm. Like, 
just because I'm always trying to learn yeah. about myself or spread my wings or whatever. But I do find psychology fascinating. And yeah. it does allow you as a side effect to get, get to know yourself. But yeah, anything like, oh, I have, I have this podcast I, I listen to or anything, even if, if you get him on a, on a, a podcast uh, with somebody else, because I find he's, he's a good person to interview. I don't find him very good at interviewing people. Mm. Okay. Finally, do you have a personal mantra or words that you live by other than, I mean, the golden rule, maybe that's it. I would say that's it. Um, <laughs> if people want to learn more about you, follow you and the gym, where can they do that? Please don't. <laughs> don't follow me i have like 400 messages right now i'm changing my phone number right away check out well i will put your instagram and the gym yeah, instagram, honestly it is the best way to get hold of me instagram because i have all my notifications off but i make sure i set aside a time to go and respond to everybody i will Next. let you go get back to it go teach a class thank you for making all the time for this today i appreciate it so much and we'll see you again soon better thanks cj that's all the time we have together this week. Thank you so much for being here with CJ and I. Please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. New episodes come out each Sunday. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at KY Wellness. More details about this episode and all previous episodes can be found at kywellness.ca under the podcast tab. As always, don't forget to move your body, nourish your body, be kind to yourself, be kind to others. See you next week and keep yourself well.